Welcome to the Card Authority Podcast, where we talk all things trading cards, AFL, NBA, and more. We cover it all. Check out cardauthority.com.au for more information, news, and all our episodes. And now, this week's episode with your hosts, AJ and AJ. Welcome to episode two of the Card Authority Podcast with AJ and AJ. Well, we've made it. We're at episode number two. The feedback has been absolutely sensational after the first episode. Thank you to everybody that has sent us messages, followed us on our social channels, Card Authority AU on Twitter and Facebook. Um, look, we really appreciate the love. AJ, welcome back. We made it. Yeah, mate. Uh, great to be back. Episode two. Just so the listeners know, episode one only came out uh, yesterday for you guys to listen to. And as AJ said, incredible, incredible feedback so far. Thank you all so much. It's, uh, it's really exceeded all our expectations for, for that first episode. And we're, we're really excited that people are liking what we're talking about and uh, already submitting some fantastic uh, questions and feedback and whatnot as well. So uh, keep it coming, guys. That's right. And spot on, AJ. So look, if anyone has any questions, whether you know, it might be just something they want to know or they want to get involved in one of the segments. Um, AJ is going to be introducing one of the new segments tonight. Um, you know, it might be unicorn hunting. It might be whatever. Please feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or us personally, and we'll certainly look to address it on the show. All right, AJ, we have got a very, very big week ahead of us in the card industry. I know you're excited. Everyone's excited. It is the official release of Dominance. 2020 which will be coming out officially on thursday pre-sales start on monday how are you feeling about it are you excited mate i am uh, i'm very excited there's been a pretty uh, a pretty big build-up so far to it a lot of people are talking the the whole scene is in a different place to where it's ever been before for the release of an afl product or re- the release of a, a trading card in general um but it's uh it's interesting times the market certainly changed I think it's going to be coming really hot off the press uh, when it goes for pre-order Monday morning. So 10.30 a.m. Monday morning, people better be uh, clicking. I've got MBN getting installed actually at 8 a.m. So it's a bit of a worry for me. I'll be tethering from the phone, I reckon, to try uh, try get my order through. Yeah, look, it, it's certainly exciting. And I, I guess, look, I joined the, the space, I guess we'll rejoin the space just before the release of Prestige. And it was a completely different mood. I remember seeing the previews that were coming out for Prestige and people were not excited. If anything, they were really concerned. They didn't think it looked very good all those sorts of things. But, you know, so far what we've seen, 12 previews so far, and I think the mood overall is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And um, look, as you said, AJ, Prestige is is actually a big, uh, a point of reflection, I suppose, within uh, AFL cards and the hobby because, you know, traditionally you have, you know, Series 1, which is your footy stars product for select, and then Series 2, which uh, in the past last year it was Dominance, prior to that it was Legacy, and then it was Certified in 16 and 17. Um, and, and the Series 2 product is a higher-end product. This year, we saw the entry of almost what, what was a 1.5 Series product, which was Prestige. It sat in a middle price point area, and it was essentially like a, a hobby parallel set of Series 1, but it had a lot of low numbered cards in it, which really gave it uh, some significant value and perceived market value. So, you know, the, the, I, I totally agree with you. Like the previews were not really well received, but it still sold out in what I think it was 48 hours or something. And the whole product was gone. Um, 
And I think that's a reflection really, again, of where the market's at and how many new participants had come on board in the last sort of six months, but then really got activated when that new series came out. You know, people were sort of getting involved with older, older product in breaks and things like that and chasing down some singles and starting their collections. But then Prestige came in and just went boom. And uh, yeah, the, the build-up to dominance has been huge. It's really hard to, to predict what's going to happen because we're very much in uncharted territory here. Prestige is the first product, aside from Supremacy last year, which was a, a one-of-a-kind type of thing as well and, and a very premium product. But Prestige is the first time that I'm aware of in AFL trading cards where a sealed product is selling for double the money on the secondary market. And to me, that is a sign of the times. It's a sign that demand is there. And I think that's a real reflection of how the market is maturing, very similar to perhaps the NBA market overseas where a product will get released and then pretty much a week later, it's escalated in price and that just continues to go up and up and up. And what's known as retail price as such, you know, it just doesn't exist. Everything is sold out so quickly. You're paying one, two, three times the price, you know, within a couple of months. Well, absolutely. And it's like, you know, my come up in AFL over the last three years was, well, the recommended retail price, that's the price of the product. And that's what you purchase the product for. And it's never going to be more expensive than that. And then I dabbled in a little bit, a bit of MBA in uh, December, January, or January this year. And, um, yeah, I remember at the time, you know, suggested they have the, the American product has suggested retail prices that are recommended. And the suggested retail price for a box of Prism was $110 landed in Australia. It was 80 US dollars, 110 landed. And I ended up buying a couple of boxes for $180 Australian at the time. And the person convinced me to buy them. And then they said to me, oh, you know, if you want to be smart, you should buy a lot more. And I said, you're crazy. I don't, I'm not paying you $180 when it says, 80 US dollars on the side of it. This is nuts. Well, I didn't realize the way things worked in the NBA market. And then, you know, those very same boxes now are literally like $1,100. And it's crazy that they just continue to go up and up in value, which is also a reflection that the single cards inside them are going up. And as you said, we're seeing that incrementally at the moment with AFL cards. It's starting to happen. It started, it happened with Supremacy. And now it's carried through from late 2019 into early 2020 with Prestige. We're even seeing it with Series 1 Footy Stars is selling for, you know, 40% above recommended retail, which I've just never seen before. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting time and uh, we've got a lot of different people. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. And look, I remember just before sort of Prestige supplies ran out, probably took two or three months, but I think the tipping point cases were selling for about 3,300. And I think they were originally wholesale about 1200 bucks, 16, $1,600 retail. So it shows in the space of a couple of months, those people that had cases obviously made a ton of money, but people that were trying to buy that product were effectively paying double of what it was selling for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we're going to see that this time around. And because that happened so much with Prestige and the product became so valuable on the secondary market at a non-collector level, at a investor level, speculator level, flipper level, um, and breaker level. And that's the really big thing here. And that's one of the big contributing factors. But because of what happened with that product, I think the expectation, or certainly my expectation is we're going to see that almost on steroids this time around with this product, whereby, you know, then there was a, a limited amount of it going on then. 
And I think there's going to be a lot more going on now. What do you think? Well, I mean, that's a really good point. So as I just described with the prestige, how much can it increase? Let's say a case of dominance is 3,000, just for easy round numbers. Can it really double and go to 6,000? That seems like a phenomenal price. Like, are the value of the cards that are going to be in there? And we're going to talk a little bit about what's in the release shortly. But can you really see it doubling in price? Are people going to be able to get $6,000 out of a case? Well, I suppose that's, uh, that's the big question. But what we need to remember as well is with the increase of, the, of that demand for the sealed product, it's also pushing up the prices of the single cards as well. And irrespective of, of the sealed stock and the new series coming out, we've seen tremendous price increases across the board over the last six months, but very much in the last three months. Um, you can effectively categorize it that anything that's deemed to be a high quality in-demand card that will continue to, to generate further demand because of either the series or the sub set or the player or the team we're seeing you know we've seen increases on some of those supremacy cards in the 100 to 150 percent region in four weeks or five weeks and we're seeing you know you know but, but look I, I look at a lot of numbers i look at a lot of data and i can tell you at the moment across the board where it's sort of still averaging around six percent increase in participation within the hobby so new people coming in and getting on board whether they're collectors or they're coming in to, to flip and make money or what, whatever it may be that's their prerogative um, but what we're seeing is if it's six percent new participation rate it's causing pressure on the prices upward price pressure because ultimately as we discussed in episode one cards are limited in number these days if there's only 50 of something printed there's only 50 and if every week the amount of people that are competing for that particular card goes up by six percent then naturally that's going to push up the, the demand go that, you know, that that's a reflection of demand. And as a result of that, it has upwards price pressure and whoever's going to pay more money for the card is going to win the card. And then it's repricing the market. And it's an amazing thing to actually watch because it's, it's been happening for a while. I've been preaching about it for a little while now as well um, with respect to RGB and the other things that, that are going on. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's still happening and it's still going and we'll see how it pans out with dominance. So you mentioned just a little bit before about sealed stock and we're going a little bit off script here, but I think it's a good one to cover for people at home that perhaps are more at the, the entry level of this or getting into this hobby. Sealed stock it has more value to what's known as box breakers. So people that run stores or retail outlets, they're obviously selling sealed product. But when you say sealed stock, you're actually more referring to box breakers. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, so, so effectively, the, the increase in the value, where the perceived value is for an individual is either someone that, that is prepared to pay double the amount of money for a box or a packet or a case because they're desperate to open it themselves or they're doing it because they're opening it to make a profit. And when I say they're opening it to make a profit, the, the, the most common way of that happening at the moment is obviously breaks and group breaks and case breaks and box breaks and team breaks and everything in between. Um, maybe AJ, do you want to fill, fill in the listeners a little bit more about what a, what a break actually is for those who don't know? So a box break is a way, as you mentioned, there are certain high value cards that can sometimes be unobtainable by, you know, the everyday punter. And what you can do is you can go and buy a slot or a space. And in um, an example with AFL, there'll be 18 people, everyone will get allocated a team 
and then whatever cards come out in that box or that case or multi-boxes, they get those cards from the team. So if I get Richmond and they open up a heap of packets and they open the box, any card that comes out that is Richmond gets sent to me. So I'm effectively, I use the word gambling, but I'm, I'm speculating on hoping that some big card, a dusty card that might be worth $1,000, I might pick up for the $50 slot that I've paid in that box break. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you make the connection with gambling and a lot of people look at it and say, oh, well, that's gambling. And some people don't like the idea of it being gambling. Um, but the reality of it is, as soon as you go, anyone goes and purchase a packet of cards, even a single packet of cards, they're taking the same sort of risk and it's the same sort of gamble. Um, so it's a great way to do it because you're walking away with something, but you're also only paying for what you want. So if you're a team collector, a lot of the time it actually works out more, more, more price effective for you and uh, better in terms of how you spend your money by just going and buying up spots in breaks that are for your particular team if you're trying to complete a set. Um, you know, breaks certainly have their, their, their drawbacks too and people have to understand that you can go hitless, you know. You may spend a significant amount of money and not actually hit any of those big cards. So it goes, it goes every way. And that really, you know, connects back. There's a lot of people, you'll find that a lot of the big players in the hobby who don't go in breaks are the same people who actually spend the most amount of money on cases on a new release. And they're working to a different method. They're looking at the strategy of, well, I don't want to buy packets. I don't want to buy boxes and I don't want to buy into breaks. I only want to buy it in cases because if I buy the case, I know what my guaranteed hits are. I know what, what case hits I'm going to get. I know that in every single one of my 12 boxes of, let's say, dominance, for example, I'm going to get either a draft pick signature or a player's ink signature. Yep. They know that in their case, they're, at the very least, they're going to get one captain's signature, as we know from today's preview. And so different people work on different strategies. And that's the, the amazing thing about uh, cards and the hobby is that there's something for everyone. And I guess the other thing with box breaks is as much as there's the opportunity to get some cards that you want at a cheaper entry point, it's also entertainment. There's some really good breakers out there that actually put on a really good show. You can sit and watch it for an hour and it's entertainment. It's fun. It's nice seeing packets getting ripped open. It's nice. The thrill of perhaps getting something that you might want, you know, it's a combination of entertainment slash investment slash you know some possible upside for your own collection yeah i don't know about you but my kids are what got me sucked into breaks the first time around as well and um you know the kids just get so excited you hear that you know a big hit comes out and you hear the name called out or you see what the team is or the player and uh, it's priceless that's that's those real priceless moments and uh i definitely think that breaks for me i got into them quite early on when i when i came back into cards in the last few years as an adult and uh I certainly in 2019 went very, very hard on the breaks and it was entertaining. It was fruitful in terms of cards. It was, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, look, there's no doubt that there's a big boom going on in breaks in the moment. A lot of it's on the basis that people have been in isolation and people are on device and people are at home and all the COVID and, and that sort of stuff. And we're seeing it across the board online. It's not mutually exclusive to sports trading cards or to AFL cards or any type of cards for that matter. It's happening with all different types of collectibles and all, all different types of things that are transacted online. Um, and it's just one of those things, you know, there's a lot of different people and some come through with really great intentions Others are just coming through to make 
the maximum in a short period of time. But uh, I'm a big believer that people need to experience both the good and the bad to know where they want to end up. And yeah, people can come in and enter for a small amount of money and really test the waters before they pull the trigger on something big. Absolutely. And look, you're definitely going to come across um, good breakers, as you said, and also bad breakers. Some you will enjoy the show, some you won't. But I guess that's something you've just got to discover yourself. But look, let's get back to dominance. So we've obviously seen uh, 12 previews out of the 15 so far. Out of the 12 cards that you've seen being shown, what so far has got you excited? What do you think are, are some of the cards that you're looking forward to out of those 12? Yeah, so uh, for me, it's really interesting. So I need to look at this from uh, two different sets of uh, optics. One being the fact that I'm a Saints collector. I've got to look at it from a collector's standpoint for my personal collecting. And then I'm looking at it from a broader hobby, hobby perspective and what this product's starting to look like. Um, I'll be honest. I treat previews of trading cards, especially from um, Select, very different to what that product is in hand. Um, and especially when there's just photo previews and no video previews as well. Now, the reality is photos of trading cards do not do them any justice. And Absolutely. especially digital, digital images of trading cards certainly don't do them any justice because it's all about the finish and it's all about the coating and what's been put on that card. And it, it really needs to be under different angles of light and in your hand to appreciate it. So to me, I find it really hard to, to judge cards until they're, they're in your hand. On that basis, I think uh, some amazing previews. The hollows, I think, look like they're going to be fantastic. Mm. The parallels, that looks fantastic. I love how they've gone landscape styling on multiple cards. Yep. Um, to me, that really takes it back to that sort of 2001 to 2007 era of select footy cards where they were doing signatures, landscape, all Australians and stuff in landscape. So I like how they're going back to that. Um, I'm really digging. I think the numbering is pretty spot on at the moment. The ratios and collation should be really strong on that basis. I think the dominance cards are just going to be, that's going to be a real interesting one yeah. this year. Ooh, they yeah. were big off, they, they were big off the mark last year and then they sort of tumbled a little bit in price and they've started to move right back up again to where they were. However, we're in a different climate now. There is so much demand in the market. You look at some of these big players, you know, that, the, the, you know, the dusty, the dusty one is a great example. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be the num from the number one subset and the rarest subset in the series, but it's certainly going to be one of the most sought after and valuable cards in the series. So that's really interesting. The captain's signatures um, is a bit of the unknown there. People are still wondering, well, Carlton, what's, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Doherty or is it going to be Cripper or could they revert back to the dual signature? those dual signature captains are super rare across the subsets. I still haven't been able to get a Lenny Hayes, Aaron Hamill one back from, I think it was 2007. That one was, I can't find one anywhere, you know, so interesting stuff. And then three more previews, which just blows it wide open. So, so in the, th you know, obviously you, you spot on, like, I think there's some exciting things and, you know, obviously my, eyes pricked up when I saw the dusty dominance card the other day. It's going to be uh, well, hopefully not a unicorn. Hopefully I get one nice and early. So there's three cards left to be shown. Um, there's lots of speculation. I think obviously um, there's some talks that the high flyer card from the 2019 series is going to get replaced. Um, I heard some talks today that maybe it might be more forward targeted card. So which can be a little bit more of a catch all for some other players. Um, have you heard anything about that? Like, what, what, what do you think it might oh, be? Well, let's be honest. Uh, specula speculation is absolutely rife. 
as it is going into every release. Um, and we see it every release and we see that across the Facebook pages and across Ozcard Trader always starts an early thread, um, which gets a lot of speculative action yep, on it. Absolutely. And people trying to, like, people, people go to the extent of trying to predict the names of cards and, and all that sort of stuff. So they take it to a whole new level. Look, from my perspective, and again, this is all speculating. I, I literally have no, no inside information uh, to, to be able to disperse to our, uh, to our listeners here. But um, look, I'm trying to figure it out based on a, a number of factors. One, the series is a, it's a, it's another version. It's the second release of a series that started last year. So we always know what that baseline is going to look like. Where based on the ratios of the numbering that's come out already, so the numbering of the cards that they've shown so far, we've got a good indication that we're looking at the same sort of case volume. So then you can start to think from that point, okay, well, if there's still three more previews, then there's got to be cards of certain certain ratio or certain, sure. um, uh, you know, to meet that really high quality criteria, I suppose, as being big hits. You know, I asked myself the question this morning was the release of the captain signature preview. Now that to me was totally unexpected. I expect the captain signature to be the second last preview. So to me, that's actually come two days early. And now I'm thinking to myself, well, wow, this is strange. They haven't put out what should have been, what I would have expected the high flyer replacement, a card numbered to 60 would have come now and then whatever, something else, and then the captain signature and then the mega hit, if there is one. So it's, uh, it's sort of thrown me now. This is my uh, conspiracy that ooh, I'm starting ooh, to think. Here we go. Is, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Certainly there has to be a, a replacement for the high flyer. Everyone speculated sharpshooter, whatever it may be. Who cares? It's, we know there's going to be something there that replaces it. But I'm thinking to myself, there's actually going to be two things to replace it. There's going to be oh. two cards. And I think, I think what's happening is with the current marketplace, I feel like maybe, and this is all speculation, maybe the manufacturer has switched into that mode of the more we load up cases, then the more interest there's going to be across the broad spectrum of collectors, speculators, breakers, investors, and flippers, everything in between. But also, I think maybe like they did with, with the previous last couple of series, and especially with series one, is try to stop case searching and people case searching and then reselling dead stock basically by adding that one in two case hit into it as well. So I'm thinking they maybe are going the double whammy here. We're going to see an extra hit in every case plus another hit on top of that in every two cases. So what I'm saying is I still think there's going to be a generation next triple or double signature as the superstar piece of the set. But I think right last year, that was a replacement one in two case hit for a captain signature. I feel like maybe this time around, it could be an extra hit with mm. the captain signature because what they're actually going to do then is there's going to be two other cards. So instead of there being a high flyer equivalent number to 60, maybe there's two other cards numbered to 40 or something like that. Now, I probably confuse myself as well as everyone that's listening <laughs> right now, but basically, I don't know. I don't know what's going on i still think there's a gen next and my only then they're saying there's three previews left to go what could it possibly be unless they're previewing case cards this time and from memory they don't do case card previews so yeah yeah look i think that's pretty much the consensus there's going to be a replacement for the high flyer there's going to be the next gen which you know they've done some crazy cards with that in the past there was the gary ablett junior and senior there was the shaw triple signature next gen 
you know, there's some talks today that maybe it's the Danaher's, maybe it's the Kennedy's, you know, there's definitely a lot of those options out there. Either way, it's going to be a ripper card to get. Um, one little conspiracy theory I heard today, again, I, I don't know anything. I'm just purely guessing it's going to be expensive if I'm right. But I heard there might be a platinum showstopper with an autograph. Yeah, well, you know, uh, since since the gold one came out, I've been hearing people say, oh, well, in dominance, they'll have to be a platinum. Isn't there a platinum? They're setting up for a platinum. Surely they're setting it up for a platinum. Um, so I've certainly heard about this platinum thing. I don't know if there's like, how much substance there is to it, but uh, right now is the first I've heard about it being a side one. Ooh, so no. that, uh, if we're talking about that, and then we're talking about all of a sudden, okay, you got the draft pick signatures, the players' ink signatures, the captain signatures, potentially the next gen uh, triple sig or double sig, and now we're talking about that a showstopper signature. I don't think there will have ever been any series in AFL product that ever had that many signatures and subsets in it. And I guess the thing with signatures, and I know you've been banging on to me about this privately, is signatures are the cards that hold their value and gain more. So as a collector, people want to get those things with something that a player has actually touched. And for the commercial side and the secondary market, you know, anything with a signature on it is more likely to gain value than, say, something that hasn't been touched by a player. Yeah, traditionally it shows it because I think... Um... Look, I think just the signature and the way also that signatures are not, uh, uh, they're actually certified within the card. The, the card itself becomes a certificate of authenticity. And for those who have never actually looked, for the most part, like with select cards, if you look on the back of a select card, every signature card for select actually has an authentication on the back of the card. And as a result of that, they, they're viewed as mem almost memorabilia cards. They're a piece of memorabilia. And um, you also have to remember, it's... It's something as well that cards can always be produced without a signature. So in the future, someone who may have passed away or whatever it may be, they can continue to be produced. But once they've signed everything and they move on, there's no more signature cards. So to me, over time, history shows that signature cards seem to hold up their value uh, a lot more than, than other cards. So I guess look, a question that we, you know, I've been asked a couple of times and for people that are still a little bit new into collecting and specifically for the dominant series, why is it that there's only nine captain signatures and only nine dominance cards? Why, why have they done yeah, it that way? That's a great question. And uh, I forget sometimes that you've only come in, uh, you've come into the hobby as well this year. So you've had to learn this stuff recently too. So uh, when dominance came out last year, they released nine teams with a dominance card, number to 60, and the alter, alternating nine teams with a captain's signature card. And they did that effectively to balance out the set and balance out the cases, because in a case, you got a captain signature, a dominance, and two high flyers cards were guaranteed in, in your cases based on the ratios. So they needed to ensure that, that you're getting a proper spread in terms of teams and players between the captain's sig and the other big case hit, which was numbered number to 60, as the dom which was the dominance card as well, which was only for nine players. So what happens is this year, the alternating nine teams have swapped over. So last year, so my team, for example, St Kilda, had the captain signature last year. So this year, it's going to be the dominance card. Whereas the other teams who had the dominance last year all have the captain signature this year and they're very predictable because you know who the captain of the club is for most teams unless it's Carlton who has a, 
a co-captaincy going on. Um, for me, though, it creates a bit of mystery and a bit of excitement where my biggest thing I'm trying to figure out is, well, who is the dominance card for St Kilda? Because is it going to be Jack Steele? But hold on a second. Jack Steele wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't in that superstar form in 2019. And these sets are created from my understanding in like the fourth quarter of, of the year before. So the set was defined and created effectively in 2019. And as a result, all the photos are from AFL media from the previous year, which means that none of the trades have gone through the series and all that, which have happened in the off season. Um, so yeah, Basically, that's the long-winded answer as to there being two different types. So you can, everyone out there, if your team had a dominance card last year, they have a captain signature this year. If they had a captain signature last year, they have the dominance card this year. That's uh, that's as plain as it gets. Hopefully, for my team, it's a good one. Perfect, and I think that's a really good thing. And it can be confusing. I see a lot of people talking about, you know, cheering, wondering what their dominance card's going to be. But you're right, if you're a carbon supporter, you had Patrick Cripps in 2019, there isn't going to be a dominance card for you this year. But after what we just talked about over the last few minutes, hopefully there's going to be a whole range of other cards that are you know, going to uh, get you excited and make you want to chase. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, one of the great things about the dominance set and, and something that a lot of people don't think about is actually the draft pick signature cards. Because in a, depending on who that draft crop is that's come through, there are some absolute superstars of the game or future superstars of the game. Um, what's really interesting is you look at a team like Gold Coast, which has the smallest collector base. Uh, I would say the smallest or one of the smallest, obviously, supporter bases. I don't know what their membership numbers are exactly. But uh, as a result of that, their cards don't have much demand and they generally go really cheap. But, you know, all it took was for Matt Rowell to show a bit of what he's capable of and now everyone knows that he's got a draft pick signature card coming through. All of a sudden, you got breaks being pre-sold and pick your team breaks where you can choose the team you want. And half the people are trying to choose Gold Coast because mm. they know that Matt Rowell, a future superstar of the game, Absolutely. has his draft pick signature card. And simply just based on that player and his performance in those few games that he strung together before he got injured... Uh, that has taken a card that would otherwise have been probably a ten to fifteen dollar card. Now I can, I'm sure I'll, I'll back this in. I reckon straight off the off the rank, that's a fifty sixty dollar card straight off the bat, and it oh, only goes up from there. It only least, goes up from there. At least. But yeah. what's really what's really interesting, AJ, is like last series when Dominance came out, the players who were not considered the top players or at the top clubs for the draft pick signatures were all selling for twenty dollars on release the big players were selling for 50 to $60. Then you see that demand really start to kick in and the market dries up. And all of a sudden you got cards going for huge money. Bailey Smith. I'm telling you right now, Bailey Smith draft pick signatures. When they came out, they were between 15 and $25 a piece. They are selling now. I saw two of them on eBay sold for $215. Two hundred and fifteen dollars, and they're not and around. Event. You can't, you can't get them. It's they're a, not around. You can't, you can't, you can't get them. But what's incredible is four weeks ago that very card had hit a hundred and ten dollar peak, a hundred and twenty dollar peak, and everyone was talking about it. Oh wow, Bailey Smith cards are so much. Look at the bloke's performance he put in the previous three weeks from from now, like over the last three four weeks, and boom, the card has basically doubled in price. Now we're seeing acceleration right now, like what's seen in NBA. Like literally players are performing in a single game and the prices are, are moving on that basis. 
it's something I haven't seen in my time yet, like until really now. It's, it's quite, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting place. I, I can tell you right now, you think Matt Rowe is going to be worth 50 bucks. I, I'm, I'm buying at that price every day of the week. I think you will find that card will be almost $100 out of the gate because people know he's a superstar. They're going to want to get hold of those cards. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy there. Yeah, I, I'm definitely taking overs on $50. Let me ask you this, whilst we're going down this line then, what, sure. what, what do you think is going to be the most valuable card in this series? Based on what you've seen in the previews and what you know is coming out, what oh, are you thinking at the moment? Absolutely. The Dusty Dominance card's going to be worth a million bucks. That, that, with that doubt, is going to be the most expensive card. Um, No, look, I think it's probably hard to say. I think that from what we've seen so far, well, probably from what we've seen so far, I would say the Dusty card is probably going to be the most expensive or the most sought after. I think um, the Captain Sig, I don't have my list here in front of me, but I'm sure there's going to be, you know, is it Hawthorne perhaps? Um, They've got a Captain Sig this year. You know, that, that that will probably fetch a fairly high price. Um, you know, we talked about Matt Rowell, but yeah, I think from what we've seen currently, I think probably the Dusty card is going to be the most expensive that we've seen right now. Yeah. So for me, it's a really interesting one. Um, I'm conscious that, you know, we talked about in episode one about why both Collingwood and Richmond cards are generally higher priced and, yeah, and have a bit of a premium associate. Yeah. Premium associated with the demand. Um, we have in this series a Scott Pendlebury captain signature. Now, absolutely, at the end yeah, of the day, that's right. Yeah, you, 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 cu- you couple the Collingwood captain signature with the Scott Pendlebury, such an incredible, incredible, and incredibly successful player that has such a huge following as well um, with it within the Collingwood faithful and especially the collectors out there as well. To me, that is uh, that that's by far the biggest yep, captain absolutely. signature. Yep across both series of dominance and probably the, the biggest single card outside of the triple six or the, the Ablett next generation in 2018. Um, it's, it's really interesting though. The dusty one and a dominance card is really interesting. We're seeing huge price surges at the moment uh, over the last sort of four to six weeks on, du- on dusty cards in general and over a prolonged period as well. But oh, I know, I know. I know. I, 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 I'm interested <laughs> to see how this stacks up. See, last year, what's happened with dominance, with dominance one last year was that most of the dominance cards, cards open really high in the first couple of days and then they seem to level out and then you have these waves of buying and selling and buying and selling. But for the most part, you know, dominance cards were moving in that 100 to 200 range except your your Tom Mitchells and your Crippers and then your Steel Sidebottom who was actually the most valuable. And all of a sudden you're seeing these cards going in that 200 to 450 sort of range is where they were at. Now, the market certainly changed the demand is big. The demand for that Dusty, no doubt about it, is going to be massive. Is that Dusty card going to pop out starting at 800 bucks or 1000 bucks? Who knows? But if it does, does it lift the entire benchmark of the whole market? And are the, the lower level ones, are they not running at 100 to 200? Are they actually running at 300 to 400? Because Dusty is so huge, it's lifted, lifted the whole marketplace. So that's why I'm... Um, one of the things I'm really looking out for here as well. Um, as I've halfed on about, I think we're, we're really in an unprecedented time where it's hard to judge where everything's at because the demand is just so big at the moment. Um, and 
yeah, for me, I, I really want to want to look at this this whole situation when everyone starts opening up that product and it starts hitting hitting the singles market and that secondary market as to as to what's going to happen. Um, and look, my other thoughts in, in a more general sense on that as well is my opinion, and I've said this to a few people privately who I've discussed it with, is that we're not going to see the flood of cards on the market in the first 72 hours for this series like we have before. Because I think we are in a different place now where a lot of the people purchasing up the product are breakers, which means it's going to be broken over a prolonged period of time. But also we've got people coming in to buy cases, to sit on cases, to make money off that, that, that sealed stock as well. So as a result, not as much product gets opened in that first sort of day or day or two, which means it doesn't hit the market. And quite simply, if the market doesn't get flooded, it means the prices are going to hold really high, in my opinion. So you mentioned that about people holding stock. And I guess this is a little bit of thumb in the air kind of stuff. There's, what, 500-odd cases of dominance. What percentage or what amount of stock do you think gets opened in that first week through breaks, collectors, stuff like that? Would you say it's a quarter? Would you say it's half? What's your best guess? Uh, look, I, 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 I think previously... Um, well, previously, the stock never sold out to begin with either. So it was always hard to know how much it actually, you know, sold through. When I say sold through, gone from the factory floor and ended up in the hands of an actual person that was going to open that product. Yep. Um, so it's hard to judge. What I can judge off at the moment pretty much is, is going to have to be Prestige, which was the closest release. I would say Prestige was unprecedented how much product was open at the frequency and the veracity that it was opened as well. And I think Prestige, probably 70% of the product, because it was purchased so quickly, 70% of the product was opened and on the market in the first seven days. And then I think the remaining 30% mostly came within sort of seven to 14 days of that. And now we're just still seeing the, the last tiny scraps of a box here or a box there. Now, some people would be sitting on some still, but I don't think a lot. Judging off that, and then also taking into account how things have changed now with the, a lot of new breakers have moved in. There's a lot of NBA guys and a lot of speculators have moved in as well now and are looking at this release to target this release. I believe, I could be very wrong, I think at best 50% of the product is going to end up in the hands of people who are actually opening it in real time. Yep. And I think probably 50% of the product ends up in the hands of the breakers or people holding out stock to sell at a later stage. So I think, I think we're only going to see maybe half the volume of what we did of um, prestige end up on, let's say eBay, for example, in that first little bit. Yeah, look, I agree. That, that certainly makes sense. And that was probably around the number that I was thinking too. Well, look, Dominance comes out next week. Obviously, we will be back to do uh, a first look at Dominance the first day that we get it in our hands. Hopefully, you guys can listen to us while we're opening those boxes and having a little bit of a look at it. But look, AJ, I've been absolutely hounded in the last 24 hours. People have been messaging me. People have been asking me questions that said, we want to hear more of the other AJ. Give him his own segment. Give him a chance to speak. So we've formed a new segment. AJ's Mailbag. Take it away.
Oh, here we go. G'day, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Welcome here today to AJ's Mailbag. And again, just to reinforce what my good friend AJ has been telling you kind folks out there, we have been getting a whole bunch of questions and feedback coming through. So today, we are going to start off with some listener feedback with a listener question that was posted last night on Facebook. We're going to give big, a huge shout out to Jonathan Morcella, who has come through with this absolute ripper of a question. Beautiful. Here we go, guys. Straight out of, uh, straight out of Jonathan's uh, mouth via his keyboard into the computer and Facebook, the question goes as follows. Okay, my question is, if the current boom of AFL cards continues and settles at a much higher level than it traditionally has, what do you guys think the future looks like for the manufacturers? Mm. Do you think Select can continue to monopolize the medium to high-end market? Or could we see a larger company like Panini or Tops buy out or compete with Select? Wow. That is, it's, a big, it's a big question and it's at a really high level as well. And uh, I really thank you for that one, Jonathan. And I think there's probably a lot of different views and opinions on this. And it's, it's a really interesting one because you probably have to set the scene of what the, what the actual, the market looks well, like. At the, let, at let, the, let, let, me, let me get some mood, mood music going. Do, do, do. Set the scene. Yeah. Set the scene, AJ. Set the scene. All right, we're going to set the scene here, ladies and gentlemen. The way it works in Australia is there is only one trading card license. There are two trading card manufacturers, but there's only actually one trading card license. And that is for, with Select and has been with Select since 1993. The other competing brand in Australia of trading cards for AFL that everyone knows is called Team Coach and by a company called Team Zone. But what many don't know is that Team Coach's license, in fact, differs from the Select license. Team mm. Coach's license is for a gaming card. It's for a gaming card, not a trading card, a collectible gaming card. And as a result of that, there's, there's limitations and also differentiations on what, what each manufacturer is actually allowed to do. I think at this point in time, the AFL is very traditionalist in the way they do their licensing and the fact that they don't want the market to be flooded. So I think we can rule out a third party coming into the market and being issued a license to be able to manufacture. So for me, I'm gonna pretty much discount that straight off the bat there, Jonathan. But, uh, and I'm going to home right in here on, on the other part of your question, which was, okay, well, if a third party isn't going to enter the market and get a new license and compete with Select or compete and compete with Team Coach, is there someone that's going to come in and buy them out? Now, it's an interesting one. There's certainly been speculation over the years a lot of times. I know when I first entered the hobby, people were telling me that, that Tops had been looking to buy, actually buy out Select. Um, Probably a lot of rumours over the years. I don't really know. But I would like to think that the marketplace is booming at the moment, which means you would think that the balance sheet of the manufacturers is looking pretty good at the moment, both domestically and internationally. And that's a time when uh, acquisitions start to take place. When companies are in good stead and in a marketplace that, that looks to have a really good trajectory and is continuing its growth and its momentum, that's when either other manufacturers come in and other players in the same space for acquisitions, or it's also there's alternate stuff, you know, there's private equity funds, there's other organizations 
that could look into this marketplace to invest in companies. So whether a, a major player comes in and tries to uh, take over and buy out a select or a team coach and or one of our domestic operators, or whether some big equity and big capital starts to move in, I don't really know, but I think it could go either way. And I think both could be really good, to be honest. If it did happen, seeing more money and more power and more opportunity come into our local guys means better cards, higher quality, better production, more, more of everything. So, yeah, to answer your question, Jono, it could go any way, but it's absolutely a prime opportunity over the next couple of years, I would think, if it was going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's a great question, but I think probably the, the big thing that I take from that, and obviously every day I, I learn more and more about the industry, is that it's it's a license-based industry. You know, Joe Bob can't go and set up his own card trading and start knocking on doors of 7-Elevens and going and selling his own cards. You know, the AFL is very strict with how they hand licenses out for all their products, whether it might be wagering or soft toys or footballs or shoes or whatever. So, you know, while Select has the license, there would need to be some pretty big commercial moves made by a different company or the AFL to suddenly change their stance to uh, for really that space to change it all. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think people don't realise it. It's something, it comes down to even the images. Like a lot of people complaining, oh, how can they use that photo? Why do they use the same photo on three variations of a card? What people don't realise is the manufacturers don't have a choice with the photos. They get issued photos from AFL media. And in some instances, there are limited photos. So I've already heard that the 2020 season, AFL media in terms of video content and photo content is very limited compared to what they've, they've had in previous years due to the Corona situation. So as a result, that could impact player choices. That, that's the logical thing to conclude there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very strict and licensing is very restricted. And there may even be situations that if a foreign company was to come in and take over a local manufacturer, it may, may impede that license as well. So yeah, a lot, of, a lot of different restrictions. We're very regulated. So, yeah, no doubt about that. All right. Well, great question, Jonathan. And, yeah, as always, you know, we love hearing AJ speak because we just don't hear his voice enough. So please make sure that you uh, contact us through all our social <laughs> channels with any question whatsoever and get those questions into AJ's mailbag and uh, we'll, uh, or mailbox, should I say, and we'll definitely let him answer them for you each week on the show. AJ, I've got a question for you. And I get asked this yes, all the time. And obviously, I have a, quite a lot of dusty cards and I've got a, quite a lot of showstoppers. People constantly tell me that I've got them in the wrong size one touch. Now, one touch is a plastic case that has a magnet on the top and it's got a little bit of an indent where the card sits nice and snug. The lid goes on it and it keeps it nice and secure but there are different sized one touches. There's 35, there's 50, there's 75, there's a hundred, there's all sorts of things. And that's called points. So 35 point or 50 point, And that refers to the thickness of the card. AJ, that's, what size that is, uh, one touch should my showstoppers be in? Oh, well, I will tell you, sir, that uh, firstly, shows, uh, not showstoppers, the one touches, there are many different feelings and positions that people have about one touches. Some people won't even put one card in them. It doesn't matter what it is. They refuse to put it in. Other people swear by them. I'm a fan of them. I'm a fan, a little bit of a fan of everything though. I like it all. I got folder sets, one touches, top loaders, the works. So uh, yeah, but it's all about the sizing. Now 
specific to the showstoppers, well, I would say that the footy stars of silver showstoppers go into a 35-point uh, one-touch. They can go into a 55. They are at the full 35-point size of that card because it's slightly thicker than the 30-point stock that everything else is printed on. But I would say for the... Uh, I found that with the prestige gold showstoppers, 55 was the way to go, especially no. when they've got that extra, extra extra protective film on them as well. So certainly the ones I have are in 55s. Um, in general, though, a lot of people seem to think that showstoppers actually scratch cards. In my own personal experience, I haven't had that issue. I remember uh, when I came into collecting and last year I got a lot of uh, foil foil coated um, Brownlow predictors last year and I put them all in one touches and I put up a photo and uh, that was my first experience of getting berated from uh, angry, <laughs> angry, angry adults collecting cardboard, let me tell you. And uh, I had people tell me, take them out, it's going to scratch the surface scratched the surface I thought to myself okay and I pulled them out of all the one touches and I still haven't put them back in the one touches <laughs> but since then I've started to think to myself a bit more objectively and like hmm well the whole thing is if you're using the right size one touch then it really shouldn't have any up to down movement inside and as a result there's nothing to scratch being attaching itself to the plastic surface or the hard plastic surface should be the equivalent of a touching the front of a penny sleeve. They're both ultimately made out of the same material. And that's my justification. So full disclosure, I'm getting ready for the abuse that's going to come at me. All my showstoppers are in 35.1 touches. And what I feel for, for me, is that it keeps them nice and snug. The card doesn't move. I put them in a team bag or a graded bag after I've put them in one touch. They're nice and secure. And then they get put away nice and safe the cards not moving i'm not shaking it around the chances of them getting scratched is minimal and it's nice and it's nice and snug it's nice and firm you know what why would i want to put it in a bigger one that potentially gives it a little bit of breathing room so it can actually move and shake and scratch Am I, am, I, am I insane? Am I insane, AJ? I, I support you. I support, oh. I support your justification. And I might just add, I'm, uh, I'm one of those uh, geniuses out there that... Uh, so basically, when I first started collecting, I decided to bulk collect these St. Kilda Brownlow predictors. And let's say every week I was getting five or ten new predictors in the mail. So every week I was going to Card Zone and getting five to ten new one-touches. And I would put them all in the one-touches. And then I had them just stacked in a cupboard. Mm -hmm. not protected or anything just stacked on each other in a cupboard i never thought about the fact that plastic on plastic is going to scratch anyway so that was fantastic great then i showed them off in the photo posted the photo up got berated so i took them all out of one touches <laughs> and, and, and folded them put them into pages into sleeves and into folders and page them but then i looked at all my one touches and realized that every one touch was completely scratched because they'd all been stacked on each other. So I'm all of a sudden left it. And I'm talking like 120 one touches here. And, and these are, are five, five, five or six bucks each, you know? Yeah. That's a, oh, look, back, back then they were only 2 to $3 and we're talking <laughs> like a year, a year ago. A year ago, that's the difference. Um, but uh, what actually happened is in the end, then I stopped using the one touches and then they were all scratched. And I didn't realize that the reason, you know, you're supposed to put them in team bags or you're supposed to put it in one touch bags. So for those who don't know, whether it's top loaders, stacks of cards, one touches, graded slabs, 
Ultra Pro has a product called Team Bags, One Touch Bags, and Graded Sleeve Bags as mm. well, which are exactly designed for that purpose. One, to stop the scratching, and two, for additional UV protection and protection from the elements and from moisture and everything as well. So now I have every, all of my One Touches are all bagged, and all of anything that I have in top loaders are all bagged as well. My cards and folders are sleeved and then put into the pocket. So I'm trying to go the protection route, but uh, bottom line, my loss on my hundred odd scratch one touches were another collector's benefit. And uh, a big shout out right now to Mr. Tommy Bruin, who uh, many would know from the hobby, an absolute stalwart of the hobby. One of the great men. Yeah, a big Bulldogs collector, but also a collector of NBA cards, NFL cards, MLB cards, every card you can think of. Tommy Bruin is the hit specialist. And uh, I said to him one day, mate, I've got all these scratch one touches. They're just wasting space if you can use them for something. And he was just like, well, perfect, because I have all these NBA cards and all this stuff that the thickness of them, they need to go into one touches. So my loss was Tommy's benefit, but my benefit is that Tommy's a legend. I like it. And yeah, Tom's one of the great men. So look, we talk about storing and obviously, you know, you learned some valuable lessons there about not stacking one touches without them being in bags. Let's talk about postage quickly, because this is another thing that gets talked about in a lot of the groups and a lot of the forums. And, you know, if, if you were sending a dusty card to me, okay, what is the optimal way for you to send that card in the post? So absolutely, let's, let's go at a real basic level. That card needs to go into a sleeve. The sleeve needs to go into a top loader. The top ne loader needs to go into a team bag. It needs to be reinforced in some way. A piece of cardboard on each side is, side is fine. Three or four common cards on each side is fine to reinforce it. It needs to be sealed, taped up and put into a padded mail bag. It has to go into a padded bag. Not a white envelope with a window. Not, yeah, not a white DL envelope with a window on it. Absolutely not. Okay. But I will tell you, last series, I received something amazing during Prestige from an eBay purchase. And I did post up about it on socials at the time. And I am going to attempt to employ the method because I opened the package and I thought, oh, here's another just eBay special here. What a joke. But then I re-looked at it again and thought, no, 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 this is no joke. The person who's done this must be an engineer or something because it's actually ingenious. The card was in a top loader. The top loader was using two icy pole sticks, one mm. on each side going alternate directions and they were taped onto the top loader and it was sent like that in a team bag. It was the best bracing I have seen. It wasn't all this thickness, all this stuff. It was literally an icy pole stick on each side and it made sense. It was like wrapping it in a truss effectively. Mm. And when I then looked at the flex, no flex on any part of the top loader brilliant stuff. I might have to buy uh, a whole bunch of paddle pops and eat them and uh, get the sticks ready. That's, uh, that, that's interesting. And, and look, it makes, it makes sense. And I guess, look, probably the message for this as we're about to head into another release where there's going to be lots of cards being sent and received. First of all, ask yourself a question. How do you want a card to be received if it's getting sent to you? And if you're sending a card to someone, make sure you do everything you can to make sure it's protected. Okay, you may not have team bags to put a toppy into it. That's fine. Make sure it's wrapped in cardboard. But at a minimum, if you are mailing cards, make sure you've got some penny slips. Make sure you've got some top loaders. And make sure you put it in a padded bag. You know, just treat these cards with respect and treat the people who you're sending cards to with respect as well. 
Absolutely. I'm just going to add one quick thing here and it's Shoot. something that's a personal preference for me, but uh, registered post all the way. My yep. personal preference, if it, for anything over 30 bucks to spend the extra three or three or $4 with the seller for that peace of mind and that guarantee that you know when your cards are coming, especially in the current climate. Uh, I think people don't do it enough and we see that's where the majority of complaints come from is, cards that never made it and uh yeah registered post all the way you're spot on registered post is actually protection for both parties not only the person that's receiving the parcel but also for the sender because it shows that you've actually mailed the parcel and then the person that's receiving the card can track it the whole way and they have the reassurance that it's on its way there's nothing worse than buying a card off somebody and it's supposedly registered or expressed and it doesn't show up in scanning and you sit there and fret for three or four days going, has it been sent? Have I been scammed? And then suddenly it appears. And look, we know Australia Post has a lot of issues at the moment. They're getting absolutely slammed. But yeah, registered post or express post, something with some tracking is great protection for both parties. Yeah. AJ, I feel something. I can hear something on the other side of the door here. Ooh. Sounds a bit like a, a, a horse, a pony. Ooh. 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 There seems to be a, a rainbow horn protruding Ooh. through my door right Ooh. here. Ooh. Are we going unicorn hunting, my friend? We're back for unicorn hunting, episode two. All I can say, AJ, unicorn hunting, we knew it was going to be big. We knew it was going to be successful. You guys were saying to me, AJ, it's not going to work. And I said, listen, this is going to be special. And well, the fans have embraced it. That's the only way I can describe it. The emails, the comments, everyone's been sending in submissions. As we talked about last show, our first unicorn hunt was for a Ben McAvoy engine room 001. We are yet to hunt down that card. But again, we've got some posts on social. Make sure you keep your eyes out for it. But AJ, I've got another one for us this week. Oh, what is it? So we've had uh, one, of our, one of our listeners, and I lost his name here for a second. Maybe you can find it in a second. In the- oh, I reckon this is, is this going to be Lachlan's? I reckon this is going to be Lachlan Charmy. Yes, Lachlan's, that's right. I've got the notes. Big, West, big West Coast man, Lachlan. One of the Huge. first people I actually dealt with in trading cards, funnily enough, yeah. Yeah, and look, he's been trying to chase down a unicorn. Now, this is quite unique. So, Lachlan has a collection of Nick Natanui certified 17 signature Guernsey redemption cards. Now, for people that yeah. don't know what those cards are, I think there's uh, there's 160 of them, maybe? Something like that? 120 uh, of them? No the, 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 no, the signature redemptions were numbered to... 80, I believe, 80? were the signature. But okay. Yeah, the signature ones. So maybe even lower than that, actually. Yeah, yeah. They, maybe they the, Guernsey, the Guernseys are 160. The Guernseys perhaps. are 160. Yeah, 160 for the non-signature version. So yeah, from certified. You, you, get, you get a card and you send it into Select and it's got, when it sends it back to you, it comes back with a really nice autograph and a little bit of a patch from their actual match-worn Guernsey. Now, these patches can vary about how good they look. Some might be one single colour, some might be two colors. Sometimes you can be lucky enough to get an emblem and it might be the little Puma signal. It might be uh, uh, the AFL logo. It might be a sponsor's logo and they can look bloody awesome. Well, Lachlan has three of them at the moment and all of them all match up to actually form the sponsor's logo 
on the West Coast jumper. What he is looking for is the final piece of that. What is uh, quite amazing is uh, Lachlan has gone to the extent of creating an image of putting the three pieces together. He actually did it when he only had two pieces and he created his own custom image of what it would look like if he had all four pieces and he's used it as a template. So I know in the last couple of weeks, he picked up the third piece, which mm. was just an amazing thing that he got a card, he sent it in to be redeemed and it just so happened that the card that came back was one of the two remaining pieces he needed. He's mocked it all up together. It's still got that one missing spot in it, that one corner. So what he's missing is, now this is a very rare unique in, in, for unicorn hunting because we actually know this card exists. A lot of times when you unicorn hunt, you don't know whether the card's been thrown out or it's never been achieved. This card, so number 22, certified 2017 Nicknat Sig Guernsey Redemption card. The patch that is on it has a white background and it's the top of the Puma logo. Now, we will, we will put this up on social media. You know, the hunter, as we call it, Lachlan, he has the other three. He is desperate to get the top of the red Puma. So... Obviously, this is what we do. We're unicorn hunters. We are reaching out to the whole community to see if they can get it. But AJ, I know what you're asking. How do we know that this exists? Well, well that's exactly right. Is there something you know that you haven't let on yet? Because I feel like it's about to come out of that mouth of yours, mate. Well, look, I, I've spent a bit of time researching. I, um, I've been on the interwebs. Ooh. I've been making phone calls. And I found out the card was actually sold on eBay from Sunshine Collectibles about a year ago. So somebody ah. has this card. I'm guessing it's probably a West Coast supporter if you've gone out and bought it. So someone out there has this. Now, AJ, what you're asking me is, what is Lachlan willing to give if this card appears? Well, He's willing to give, of course, another patch in replacement, plus some money, plus some extra things. He's pretty keen for this. So imagine if you are the person that has this unicorn sitting on their shelf in their folder, you are going to be well rewarded by Lachlan if you can provide this card. I think card authority is going to come to the table here and back up Lachlan with whatever else he needs to get that card as well. So absolutely, I think it goes twofold. If you're the person that bought that card 12 months ago, well, just have a think about Lachlan and the three matching pieces he has. And if you're someone that knows those guys over at Sunshine Collectibles, feel free to use that, uh, that relationship to see if you can help get them to uh, help track down that mm. missing unicorn. And, and, and as what you said, AJ, look, obviously, you know, we both have some pretty extensive cards at our disposal. We will certainly help make whatever trade is necessary. Don't come and ask for a Dusty because you're not getting one of those. But anything else, you know, I'm certainly happy to help. And I know you will as well, AJ. And we can see if we can harness this unicorn and lock him down and make another happy listener from Card Authority. You heard it here one time, listeners. Let's find this unicorn for our friend, unicorn for our friend Lachlan and uh, close it off 
get in the card by the next episode and then we'll be searching for someone else's unicorn. Absolutely. So look, if you've got something that you'd like us to chase down, make sure you either reach out on any of our socials, Card Authority AU on Twitter or Facebook, or you can reach out to either AJ or myself. Um, let us know. We'll certainly see what we can do. But hey, AJ, another amazing show. You've been brilliant. I really wish you'd speak up a little bit more. We'll, we'll get you talking a little bit more next week. Um, but I'm very excited about Dominance coming out in a couple of days. Absolutely, mate. I just once again want to tell you how great your initials are and really commend you and, and your parents for, for coming up with that one. I couldn't have done a better job myself. So well done with that. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to, to dominance in, uh, in the coming days. And uh, hopefully we can bring to you another episode once we've cracked into a bit of it. And uh, we'll catch you guys in a few days. And thank you again for, for tuning in. And Make sure you share the love with all your friends or anyone else in the hobby, any like-minded people. They could be getting in. They may have been in for decades past. This has uh, got a little bit for everyone as we go through the season of Card Authority.